We are again studying the life and the ministry of Christ, and uh, uh, we find ourselves at uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. Mark, chapter 5, if you'll turn there with me. Probably a familiar story to a lot of us. Um, And yet, no matter how many times you might read of a certain account or a story in the Bible, that uh, every time you read it, the Holy Spirit always brings something out of it you'd never saw before. Uh, And again, I just, well, that's how powerful the word is, you know, and I don't get it for the life of me of why um, those who claim to be Christians have no desire for the Word of God. It's, to me, is it, it's just, I, I can't live without it. How many are with me this morning? I, I need this. I need this. But anyway, starting with verse 1, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, that's the Sea of Galilee, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwellings among, among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been uh, plucked asunder by him, and the fetters just broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and he worshipped him and cried with a loud voice, said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of that man, thou unclean spirit. He said unto him, What is your name? And he answered the demon, My name is Legion, for there are many. And he besought him that, or he besought him much that he would not send him away out of the country. Now there was there nine unto the mountain a great herd of swine feeding. All the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swines that we may enter into them. Uh, That's the first mention of deviled ham. I'm hoping you guys have just laughed because you're, you know, it's that joke is as old as the Gospels. Let me tell you something. But keep an eye on these these swines because next is suicide. Anyway. Who had his dwelling among the tombs, no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains. Again, and the feathers just broke in pieces. And night and day he was in the mountains crying, but when he saw Jesus, he ran. And worshipped him, and he cried with a loud voice, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High? I adjure thee by God, that thou torment me not. And he said, come out of that man, thou unclean spirit. Verse 10, he besought him that he would not send him out of the country. And there was there nine unto the mountains, a great herd of swine feeding. All the devils besought him, saying, send us into the swines that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. The herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea. 
There were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the, swine, uh, fed the swines fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what was, what was, uh, that was done. And they came to Jesus and they see him that was possessed with the devil. And had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. They began to pray him to depart out of their coast. They wanted Jesus to leave. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. But Jesus suffered him not and said unto him, go home to your friends And tell them how great things the Lord had done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. He departed and he began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all the men did marvel. And when Jesus was was passed over again by ship into the other side, much of the people gathered unto him and he was nigh unto the sea. Let's stand again and just pray over the word. Father God, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for every story, every account of your miracles and God, just the acts of mercy. We thank you for for them, Lord, because, Lord, you're not a respecter of persons, God. And, Lord, if if you delivered a demoniac, how much more now with the outpouring of your spirit? Lord, delivering people that have been influenced and possessed by this kingdom of darkness. Lord, we thank you for your word because in it you tell us the truth about both kingdoms. The kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. And when we read this again, Father, we are so blessed. We are privileged people to know that, Father, the enemy has no chains on us. That whom the Son of Man has set free, he is free indeed. So now, Father, we pray for that anointing upon our minds and our hearts to receive from your word this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, amen. Amen. Thank you. The, the temptation for a lot of pastors, Bible teachers, is to go right off into a teaching on demonology. To teach the church about the two different kingdoms, like the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, you know. And much, there is much in the Bible, by the way, to do that. And, uh, but um, to this morning, I, I'm going to um, resist that temptation uh, to, uh, to, in a small degree. I, mean, I still have to touch on it. Uh, um, uh, but I think just as mu- it, it's important to understand about the kingdom of light and the kingdom of God... But it is for the Christian, not for the world, but for the Christian, he should know about the kingdom of darkness. Where did, where did Satan come from? You know, how, how is now, why are the demons here now plaguing the world as we know it? You know, well, we know that there was a rebellion in heaven. We know that apparently uh, God gave his creation, the angelic world, he gave them free will. And we are told that Lucifer, one of the archangels, decided to rebel against God. 
And he, if you read that account, it, you can just see the, the pride there. I will. I will ascend above or I will become equal with God, you know. And, and so in that rebellion, finally, um, of course, uh, there, God would have none of that. And he was cast down to earth. Now, before he was cast down to earth, Satan then began to influence the angelic world. He began to just spread his influence among them. And people don't realize how powerful Satan really is. Think about this. This is the angelic world. This is not, this is a creature or or God's creation without the sinful nature. And Satan is so powerful with his deceptions and his lies that he was able to cause one third of all of God's angels to fall. And God cast them down to the earth. And thus now we have the kingdom of darkness. This is his kingdom. This is where he rules and where he reigns. And if you don't believe it, just open your eyes and look around. I don't mean in his church. You know, I'm talking about the world in general. You and I both know that we are going, and I don't mean this uh, as, a, as a cuss word, but the world, the, even our country, is going to hell in a handbasket. It's happening rapidly as we speak, even here this morning. There are kids being influenced by the kingdom of darkness. There are marriages being influenced by the kingdom of darkness. There are, you know, just nations that once proclaimed to be godly, having a godly heritage, is now influenced by The kingdom of darkness. And then you begin to wonder. You know, the UK just passed the law. They're not even going to sell any knives in the UK anymore. You know why? Because too many people are stabbing each other in the UK. They think the remedy is just to stop selling uh, knives in the UK. That's not the problem. And I'm not trying to get political, but guns aren't the problem. The problem with the world today is there is an influence on it. And it is called the kingdom of darkness. Now, Satan is not God. And sometimes people, even as they address a problem in their lives, they even have an attitude that he is all that. And he isn't. Satan is not omnipresent, omniscient, or uh, uh, omnipotent. They are the attributes of God. God can be everywhere at one time. God has all knowledge. He knows exactly what's in your mind. And at the same time, he's looking into my mind at the same time. And he is so powerful that he's able to answer everyone's prayer in this room right now if he decided to. And answer the the believers in China at the same time. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He's everywhere at one time, guys. Satan is not. So when people go and they say to me or say to you, Satan's really hassling me this week. I don't think it's Satan. I really don't. He's still busy with Hillary. I'm just saying. No, come on. You know I'm not political at all. I just like the jokes I read every now and then. No, maybe he's still busy with... Maybe he's busy with maybe someone like Greg Laurie. Who has crusades and leading people to Christ. Or maybe a... I know Billy's home with the Lord now, but with a Billy Graham sort kind of a thing. Or maybe he's busy trying to hassle this church because it's such a light in our community now. He's not hassling you. Now, it's a buck private. It's one of those one-thirds that had fallen. So I really think 
that if you and I, now look, a Christian cannot be demon-possessed. Let's just get that out of the way, right? Stop with that nonsense if you believe that. Can, can he oppress us? Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, he can. He's, he's done, you know, the demonic world can oppress us. We've, we've seen that and we've experienced that. Amen. Anybody can attest to that? Raise your hand for me, okay? Where do the rest of you people, like in a bubble or something? I mean, <laughs> but he can. And thank God for First John chapter 4, greater is he, right? Ephesians chapter 4, we've been sealed. So I, we know our position in Christ. He cannot enter you. He cannot make you do one single thing. Our biggest problem is the flesh, not Satan or one of his buck privates. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life, that's enough to hassle us. Would you give me an amen? amen. All right. But he can influence I'll give you one, one, one example in the, in the Gospels, and that's Matthew uh, chapter 16. Jesus is pouring his heart out to his disciples. And he's saying, guys, I'm heading to Jerusalem. We'll go with you, Lord. But I'm going to Jerusalem for a reason. What's that, Lord? Well, I'm going to be handed over to sinful men, and they're going to basically kill me. Now, I'm paraphrasing. Peter pulls Jesus aside. He says, for it be that from you, Lord. In other words, I'll never let that happen to you. Jesus turns around and says, get behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things of God, but the things of man. Who put that thought in Peter's mind to try to divert Jesus from dying on the cross? He was influenced at that moment by none other. Amen, guys? So we can be influenced. That's why we're told in the Bible to beware of the wiles of the devil. Know how he works. Man, put on the weapons of warfare because, you know, we're in a battle right now. This isn't our kingdom. This is the kingdom of darkness. And while we're here, we have a battle on our hands. So going now into our account here. Now that I put away a little bit of demonology for you. It says, they came over unto the other side of the sea and into the country of the Gadarenes. Now, remember last week, we're studying Jesus' life in chronological order. We have Jesus out in the sea. A storm rolls in. Everyone's fearing for their lives. Jesus stands up because they kind of said, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to perish here? What a ridiculous statement. But Jesus stands up. He uses a Greek word being be muzzled. The miracle wasn't that they just started to subside. The miracle was the thing was muzzled and now the water is like a sheet of glass. They're now going, oh my goodness, what kind of guy is this? What kind of man is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him because of the way they were raised as good little Jewish boys that only God could control the, the weather. And here is this guy in the boat who we just accused didn't care about us. And yet he's able to calm this storm down just like that, see? So again... They come to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, roughly a little over seven miles long, about five miles wide. And they're on now the other side. They started on the northern side. Now they're at the farthest end of the sea, around the eastern kind of uh, southern side. And they're in this area called the Gatherings. Now for you Bible students, the Gatherings is where the, the children of Israel, um, the tribe of Gad had camped there. It's why it's called the Gatherings. But yet it's a place of hills. It's a place where you can see caves. And by the way, I've been there several times. 
And uh, you can actually go to that end of the gatherings and go into the area, look up a hill and you'll see a path and you can actually see caves up there. And one has to wonder, was this the caves this demoniac was hiding in? You know, it's amazing when you go to Israel, how the Bible just becomes alive to you. And, and, and one of these days, I just, oh, I just want to get a plane and go. Not for a tour. The tour is so taxing. I mean, you're, you get up in the morning and you're touring all day. You go home, you crash in your bed, and, you're doing, and then you're fighting the jet lag and all that. But just to go and sit at places like this and think, what was it like for this guy? What, what is it like to be demon-possessed? You know, what, what was it like to see Jesus for the first time? Thinking there might be hope. Another thing that I find interesting just in this verse, verse 1 here, is the word gatherings. If you'd like to mark up your Bibles, I pray you do. That shows me that you're a student of Scripture. You could circle that and literally put right next to it, reward at the end. That's what gatherings means. A reward at the end. And just just for maybe an exhortation to uplift us, we're all going to go through storms at, in the in the middle of a sea. Amen, guys. I'm spiritually speaking to us, and we're, we're we're we'll go through those storms, trials in life. But the believer has to know; he doesn't have to cry out and say, "God, don't you care?" He just has to know that at the end of this, there's a reward. Now, I don't know what that reward may be. It might be an answer to your prayer. It might be peace. It might just be the, the sure gladness that you're through this storm and you're on the other side of it. But be that as it may, God will take you through your storm. Some of those storms last a week, a month, three years maybe. But when you come out the other end, you just see God's hand in it so much. You, see a, you just see a sea of glass before you. And if you're truthful, you're not going there, oh, put me through another one. <laughs> no, but you are sure glad that there's a reward waiting for you at the end. Isn't God glorious? Does he not love you? That's verse 1. 20 more to go. And when he was come out of the ship, notice it says immediately there met him out of the tomb one man with an unclean spirit. Immediately, it tells us. One, one translation said straightway or forthwith. With. There is no hesitation at all. This man comes running down to him and he has within him an unclean spirit. Now, again, please note this about the demonic world. The kingdom of God, the demonic world will never, ever, ever help you live a righteous life. That word literally means immoral or it means unclean in thought and life. You, you notice even today that just this surge of, of pornography. A surge of it is starting to go across our, our country once again because of the technology. They're saying that kids as young now in sixth, fifth and sixth grade are now viewing pornography on their cell phones. There's such a surge of it. That's an influence of the, the, the demonic kingdom. He has done this. It's not fate. It isn't just a country that decided to just let loose of morals and all that. There's something behind all that. And I think the Christian needs to know that because the battle isn't trying to battle against, you know, reform. 
Our battle is on our knees. It's against the kingdom of darkness. It's rebuking it. It's claiming victory over it. And I think one of the deceptions from the enemy is to get a believer to think, you just need to be reformed or you just need social change. You just need to vote the right person in and things will be different. It isn't going to be different. Not from Obama or Trump. It isn't going to be different because there's some other power behind it. Man is led away by lust, his own lust, but that's influenced by the demonic world. This is an unclean, an immoral spirit. This man now is dwelling among tombs. And notice that no man could bind him, not even with chains there in the latter part of verse 3. And again, I'm not a demon wrestler. I don't go chase these things down. If somebody came in and said they were demon possessed, I wouldn't believe it to begin with. But if they did, I'd probably send them down to the local assemblies of God church. They like dealing with that stuff. Not me, man. I've seen it three times in my life. And I'm telling you, if that individual who's being used by God is not anointed by the Spirit of God, that can get a little hairy. And I'm not going to go through the, 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 uh, the places where I have seen it. But I saw a 14-year-old kid throw six grown men off of him. Like they were just ragdolls. And there was one man in that group who was anointed by the Spirit of God. And he didn't yell. He didn't shout. And I remember those words like he said them yesterday. He said, he said Demon, my elderly brother bound you by the neck 2,000 years ago. We command you to loose this boy now. That's all he said. And that kid was totally delivered, received Christ as his Lord and Savior. And the next day I saw him given a testimony. It was funny. Yeah, I'll tell you that. Oh, I'm not going to get done this. I was in this meeting where this happened. And before this brother prayed over him, there was a warning to anyone that wasn't saved to leave. And I don't know if he was ordained by God to say it, but he just told everybody to leave if you're not sure you're saved. And I couldn't believe two-thirds of the people left that building. And and, uh, ten minutes before that, they were all dancing in the spirit. See, you wonder. You know what I mean, guys? But no man could bound him. They they possess a supernatural strength. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, they had him locked up. He plucked them asunder and he broke the uh, fetters in pieces. And neither could any man tame him. Always, night and day, he, the man, was in the mountains and in the tombs. He's crying and he is cutting. Now, it's interesting, that word right there that he was crying, it's, it's the same word used that, that, uh, that a raven makes. You know, that, that, that shrieking sound. You know, and multiple ravens. That's the same word in the Greek language. And this idea that he was cutting himself, you know, I know that's a, that is an issue, pardon me, an issue with among young people, and not just young people, where we call them cutters, you know, they cut themselves, and of course they need help. And, and we pray for them, and we try to get them help when they come in t- through the office. Um, but that's not the cutting in the Greek language. This guy is suicidal. This guy wants to take himself out. He is gashing himself. Literally is what that, it means cutting into pieces. It means to gash. It means to mangle himself. This is how much torment this guy is in. 
And I think both. I think he's being influenced by the enemy to do this, but yet he wants to get out of his torment that he is what somewhat suicidal as well. And he wants to get out of this condition. Now, before we move any further, I just want you to notice something about Satan. No, not Satan. Uh, I want you to notice something about this man. I want you to notice in verse 3 that he has totally lost his family. He is living a life of isolation now. You know, he lives like an animal. Now, no one would want him home, I, I could imagine. No one would want him around. Would you want someone like this around your kids? And, and I think about today, the influence that Satan has in the lives of so many people. Listen, look, I don't have my head in the sand. I go over into Kensington and down into Camden, and I see it firsthand. Kids that are living on the street now because my parents don't want me around. And, and you know what? This might sound a little weird or harsh, but I get that. The lifestyle they're living right now, I don't know if I would want my daughter or son in my house, honestly. And you know, but that again, all that because of an influence, it started as an influence. And that influence opened their lives to something that we would say, you know what? You look at an individual like this and you go, that's total possession now. They have no control at all. They don't even want to go to home for crying out loud. They're happy living on the streets rather than live in the comfort of someone's home. And you see that that's exactly what Satan wants to do, not just to our young people. But I've seen him do it to married couple where the, the husband might pick up a bottle and be, be turned into a drunk of some sort. And, and then he's no longer one at home as well. Another thing that I see in verse 4, that his life is totally out of control now. You notice in verse says, um in verse 4, where it just says, because he had been often bound with chains or feather, no one could control him. He couldn't control himself, and no one could control him. He's off the grid. Society can't put any control on him. There'd be no law put in place that would control him. He's off the chart. Now, I, growing up as a kid, right in this neighborhood here, I've seen a lot of my friends go that far into darkness where there was no control of them anymore. And they're doing things to their lives. You know, you're thinking, why would you do this? Well, I had a friend who lived right here in, uh, in Verga, right here, who went so far into the darkness, decided just to huff a, a, a can of Pam and then, and then shoot up heroin and we ended up taking him to the ER dead. That's how dark it can get for them. Not only does he have a life that's just uncontrollable, you notice he also have a, has a life of anguish and torment in verse 5. Night and day, he's crying. He sounds like a, a raven. He's crying. Now, listen, I believe, and you, you're welcome to your opinions, and I know there's different translations, and I hope you're not reading a, a paraphrase. But listen, I don't think this is Satan crying out and gashing here. I think this is the man. When I talk about, you know, how he's isolated, he's no self-control, he's living a life of anguish, I just see a man. I don't see a demon. I see someone's daughter or someone's son. I see someone's husband or someone's wife. We can get so calloused, so hard-hearted, that we're so willing to focus on the sin instead of the sinner. You know, I was in the Bowery in New York City one time, and I had this real grudge against that and all, you know. But I remember I was walking down the Bowery Street just witnessing, 
And there was a guy who had his back to me, to me and, I, and, and, I, and as he turned around, I'm telling you, he looked just like my pop. The features, the height, the size. My, my dad had a, a southern drawl. He had the same, and, I, and it was almost spooky, like, whoa. But I focused on his alcoholism, that he was a drunk rather than a sinner. And I think the church is so good. And I don't mean, when I say church, guys, I don't mean Calvary. You know, you, you, you hear people saying, well, we send a team to the, to the streets, they witness. We send teams to McCall. But yet they're a multi-million dollar church. And you send 10 people. You see, it, something's not adding up. So I see in this story, I see a man who's cutting, gashing himself. He's, he's crying. There's something else about this man is that he's destructive. He's suicidal. Matthew's account says that he is violent as well. I mean, you would think, okay, he's violent. He's killing. No, it tells us in Matthew's account that no one could go by the tomb without him attacking them. Luke then adds, remember, synoptics, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we have this story in all three of the Gospels. And Matthew and Luke add a little bit more to it. Luke says that he wore no clothes. That he was shameless. That there was no concern at all for modesty. Tell me now that Satan doesn't have an influence on society today. Modesty. And I don't mean just women, even men. God has called us, listen church, ecclesia bride. God has called us to live a modest life. A modest life. But that, that, that is him. This is, our, this is our demoniac. Now I want you to notice the powerlessness of the men. You notice that no man could bind him. That they did not have the fetters. They did not have the means to keep him incarcerated. There wasn't a thing that, that, this man, that this, these men could do to help this guy. Or even to help society. So what does that tell you and I? Now I know and I believe that there are t- times where incarceration is needed to protect society. But to throw a 16-year-old kid into jail for 20 years, and I'm not talking about murder, and then think that's going to help society, that's not helping society. It's not helping him. Or what we'll do is we'll just put them in mental wards, mental hospitals, and give them medication. This is another form of incarceration. Look, I'm not saying I have the, the answer. I am saying we need both in society. But what I'm saying is that is not the way to help somebody that's dealing with with a demoniac. I just think that what we have forgotten is the power of prayer. And we have forgotten the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have forgotten the power of His Word. And we have gone away from God. We have backslidden. If my people, which are called by my name, humble themselves, seek my faith, my people... He saw it and he looked for just one person to stand in the gap, but he found none. 
Leonard Ravenhill wrote a book, Why Revival Tarries. And in just, he says the reason there's not a revival is because the church isn't praying. So what do we do? We become like these men. We incarcerate people. Or we just give them medicine. Or we ignore them, act like they don't exist. Oh, that God would give us another revival. Notice when he saw him, he ran to worship Jesus. That word to run is an interesting word in the Greek language. And please don't mind the whole Greek. I don't read Greek. I do what you would do, lexicons and word studies and all. But what I found out about this, when Jesus saw him afar off. Notice when it says, when he saw Jesus afar off. Now listen, if you were to venture over into Jerusalem and look at that path that goes up to those tombs. That's not afar off. Please let me have your attention. This is very important. Maybe the far off would be from here, maybe to the other side of the parking lot. And John's here. That's not, that's not a far off. What does he mean when he saw Jesus so far off? I think he saw him in the boat. He's, he's sitting there in his tomb facing the Sea of Galilee. He sees this ungodly storm coming up. He sees a boat. And he's going, my goodness, man. I, and he maybe maybe have seen this more than once. They're dead. They're dead in the water. No pun intended, you know. And they're here, and all of a sudden he gets to see them panicking and struggling like the scriptures tell us. And all of a sudden there's a guy that just stands up and he holds on to something and he says, be muzzled. And all this demoniacs, all of a sudden the clouds disappear the sea becomes like a sheet of glass and all of a sudden in this in this demoniac's mind maybe he starts to think this is the guy that can help me no one else could they couldn't even keep me chained up because of these demons maybe this is the guy that can help me that's why he ran that word run means to spend one's strength in attaining something What is he spending his strength in? Mentally hearing the voices. Don't go down there. Don't meet with this guy. Maybe they're trying to get him to gash himself. Maybe he's trying, tripping him. You know, you're not going to get to Jesus. But this guy wanted to get to him. And you know what that tells me? If somebody really wants the Lord bad enough, they'll get to him. That no demon in hell, no demon in hell can stop him. But it all started with a testimony. It all started out. God delivered the disciples from a storm. There's something powerful, people, in sharing your testimony to demoniacs. Because somewhere in their minds, in their souls, they thought, well, if he did it for her, if he did it for him, why can't he do it for me? And then totally deliverance. It says he ran and worshipped. And again, there's a play on word because it doesn't mean just going up and paying respects or, you know, going, hey, I just saw something out there that blew my mind. Can you help me too? No, no, no. Literally, it's twofold. The word means to come, to kiss the hand of one, to fall down with your head touching the ground, and kiss the feet in total reverence. That's what this man was doing. He ran to his deliverer, humbled himself, 
and kissed his feet. Verse 7, it says, cried with a loud voice. Now here comes the demons. What have I to do with, or what do you have, or what do I have to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high? I adjure thee by God if, uh, that thou torment me not. And that word, basazni az, it literally means torment. It means to be vexed with pain. It means to be harassed. It also, and again, I think it's kind of cool studying the Greek. It also means this, struggling with a headwind. And that's exactly what the disciples experienced that day. There's another thing that I want you to notice, guys. Again, is uh, the man's response. How he came and he worshipped. How he ran. The urgency. For you and I to just make personal applications out of this, whenever you see someone who has been influenced by the, by the enemy, you know, have a testimony ready to share. Tell them that if they continue in this course that you're opening yourself up for more. Listen, can I say this, by the way? For the believer, the believer has no, no right, no place Playing around with the occult. Now I know this is hard to embrace. But a lot of times we we just open up that little influence to our children. Or we open that little influence to our kids. And what what goes into the eye gate. What goes into the ear gate. All that influence trickles, trickles down to the soul. The psyche, the mind. And then it it gets wider and wider. And before you know it, parents, loved ones. Why is this child off course like this? Why are these kids doing what they're... Well, it all starts by that little tiny influence that we've allowed into our own lives. Now I want you to notice Satan's response. What do I have to do with thee? Verse 7, Jesus, thou son of the most high, I adjure thee by by God that you don't torment me. You know what? These demons know more about God than most of the church today. They have more theology down than most of Christendom has today. They knew who Jesus was. They knew that he was the Son of God, which was a messianic term. They're calling him divine. Poor men him. And, the, and also Matthew says that the demon said, have you come before, uh, um, come to torment us before our time? They understood the, the impending judgment ahead of them. They knew that they would eventually be judged and have you come to do it before the time? And they also knew the way of judgment because in Luke's gospel, they believed that they would be cast into the abyss. Now that, you don't want to just pass over that kind of thing. That Satan knows more theology, more, more about Jesus than most of Christendom today. That's why we are told to be Bereans. That is why we're to study, to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth. To know the word in and out. Never to be laxed. Don't ever think that it's just okay for the Christian to say, I believe in Jesus. That is another demonic influence. 
That little whisper. Oh, you don't need to be all dogmatic about your devotions. You don't need to be dogmatic about your prayer life. You don't need to be dogmatic about attendance to church. You don't need all that. Just believe in Jesus. Isn't that enough? Now, James deals with that. In the book of James, he says, look, you believe in Jesus. Oh, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. Hey, but don't boast on that. Satan believes. Hey, stretch. It's not okay just to say someone believes in Jesus. There are people going to go, and I, maybe you're not even able to wrap your mind around this, but some people can't simply... Hey, listen, there are people going to go to hell believing in Jesus. The only way that you and I will escape this impending judgment, the abyss where Satan is going to be cast, is being born again. And that is more than just believing. Confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believing in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. We're talking about death, burial, resurrection. It's a personal relationship. He is my Lord now. I walk in the kingdom of light, not the kingdom of darkness. They're the ones going to heaven, not ones who are just saying, well, I just believe. New poll was just taken. I don't know where they come up with these polls or who. I was never asked. But it's good good to throw out there. Do you know 90% of the Americans believe that there is a God? 90%. 80% of them believe in evil. And I think it was 70 some percent believe that God loved them enough to take them to heaven. The rest didn't just know. It takes more than just believing. He said, come out of this man, you unclean spirit. Notice there's no theatrics. And I've seen that where people are praying for hours to deliver people from demons. I would have said, okay, I'm saved. I'm saved. Get off, get off me, you know. He said unto him, come out of that man, thou unclean spirit. He said to him, what's your name? Now, I don't know why Jesus asked him his name. Maybe to show us what Satan really can do. He says, hey, my name is Legion. Now, at that time, a legion was 6,826. 6, that made up a legion of Roman, a garrison, Roman soldiers. 6,100 6, of them were foot soldiers and the 726 were horsemen. So, I don't know how the math works out. There's, there's 6,200 or 6,800 of these guys, but there's only 2,000 pigs. But anyway, one would be too many. So he besought him that he would not, that he would not send them out of the country. Now there was nine unto the mountain, a great herd of swines feeding. And all the devils besought him. Now they're all speaking, right? Send us into the swines that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. Now that's the question. Why would Jesus do that? I mean, how many of you guys are like... Bacon. Come on. That's the that's fat back and man, that's good eating. Jesus just annihilated two thousand of them guys. Here's what this is what the scholars say. They said that these this herd of swines was actually um, owned by Jews. And it is, you know, Levitical law, they're not to eat swine because they're an unclean spirit. So what they were doing was raising these swines, making money off them, and selling it to Gentiles. And it could be a way of God saying, you know, this is a little too much hypocrisy even for me. You won't eat it, but you'll sell it to somebody else. 
I don't know. That's, that, we'll find out when we get to heaven why God, maybe it was for deviled ham. I don't know. But notice, they went running down this embankment violently. Again, 2,000, and were choked. Now, here's something interesting again that I, I don't know why I get off on this stuff. That word choke doesn't mean drown. I thought when I would go into my concordance, I would find the word drown, but it's not. It literally means to be strangled or to wring one's neck. So uh, they died, you know, um, most likely by the demons. That's, you know, but they didn't drown. So, you know, um, again, the reason I bring that to your, your attention is because Jesus, or I'm sorry, Satan's ultimate goal is to destroy he seeks, he, he goes around like a roaring lion. He wants to devour, he wants to destroy. He don't care who it is, he wants to kill. You know that um, um, he is called the destroyer, uh, abaddon in the, in the Greek, um, in Revelation. He is the destroyer and he wants to destroy everything that it pertains to God. If it's a nation that's still gripping on to in God we trust, he is going to do everything in his power to annihilate that nation. Uh, if it's a family who decided for me and my house will serve the Lord, he is going to do everything in his power to destroy that home. If it's an individual, a young person, I am going to be sold out to God. He will use influences to divert him or her Away from the will of God to devour them. That's why you and I need to be careful as parents to make sure we're not diverting our kids away from the will of God. Well, the, these, uh, they that fed these uh, swines, the herders, the farmers, went and told it into the city, in the country, and they went out to see what was done, and they come to Jesus. And you know what? I'm, I'm going to have to probably, I don't know, let's see. Anyway, sorry guys, I know I start to rumble. Um, they went out to see what was done, and they, can't, they come to Jesus, they see him, they see the demoniac that was possessed with the devil. He was, uh, and had the legion, sitting and clothed in his right mind, and notice their response. They were afraid. You know, you, the, the, the idea there for the, the word sit there means that he was actually that close to Jesus. When they saw it, the thing that they recognized, he's no longer, you know, controlled. He's no longer violent. He's sitting and he's just staring out, you know, staring up to Jesus. He's in his right mind. You know, yeah, yeah, it was, so my kids, my boys, they were crazy. They did all that. I remember John just jumped off the roof of our house one time to get away from the girls. They were playing, of course. He broke, he breaks his arm, you know. And uh, I, I remember my reaction. I said, are you out of your mind? <laughs> and we're not talking about that kind of being out of your mind. They couldn't believe that he was sitting and he had all his faculties and he was talking. He was normal. See, that's what the power of God can do, folks. And again, the influence, please. And I'm not trying to rain on anyone's thought or theology. But when we begin to be influenced to divert people away from his power, 
that there's another way to achieve all that God wants for your life if you just do A, B, C, or X, Y. You know, if you just do this, follow this, do that. That I believe, and it's just Harry, but that is diverting, Satan diverting people away from the very power of God. Notice their response. They, they feared. They, did, they didn't, up there, the herders, they fled. They, they didn't want to be responsible. They, when they saw him in verse 15, it was unbelievable. And then, then in verse 17, they just wanted him to get out, depart. We, we would rather, they literally, they chose the pigs over Jesus. Imagine that. Now think about this just for a second. There's something miraculous that's just happened that day. The storm. Jesus calming that thing. The demoniac being totally set free. They're attesting to it. They're saying that these things really happened. There was an obvious change in this man's life. And instead of embracing it, they wanted Jesus out of the country. Now some have speculated. It could be because of their swine industry. They wanted their money. They wanted the, pre- you know, they wanted the wealth that they were getting. From, you just killed everything. Our livelihood. You just destroyed these guys. Some have speculated and say the reason they wanted him out of there is they feared the power. Maybe both. Maybe someone in the crowd said, look, I don't know what's happening here. But you know what? He needs to leave. And you know what? Jesus left. Did Jesus come over there just for one bird, one man? Did you ever think about that? Hey, let's go to the other side. That was Jesus' command. They encountered a storm. But why was Jesus heading to the other side? For one guy. One person. You know. I remember years ago, someone told me the reason I was struggling in the ministries because I needed a proven ministry alluding to size and a proven ministry. But you see, at that time in my life, I was willing just to go to one person on the street corner or some, just that one person on Miller Avenue or just one. And I think that's, we, that's the heart of God. who He'll go just for one person. And you might be here today. You might be that one person. And maybe in your mind. Listen, I'm I, demon. Christians can't be demon possessed. I get that. But we can be influenced. To, th- to think that we can't is just fooling yourself. But there's no reason why we need that influence. To dictate to us what we would believe in, what we wouldn't believe, where we would go. where It's like an eternal triangle. I share this at a wedding. God's at the top. We're down here. The closer we get to, to God, I mean, the closer we get to one another, the closer we get to God. And you just imagine, are we willing to go for one person together as a church? Or do we have this mindset that we have to go to the multitudes? You know, I just, Greg, you can make your way out. 
You know, the one thing that I, I, I guess just to finish this up, what we uh, draw from. Number one, Jesus has absolute power over the demonic realm. I, I never want to hear any of you guys say, man, Satan's just made me fall. You know, the devil made me do it. You know, and Satan doesn't make us do a thing that's taught in James. Can we be influenced? Absolutely. Can a church be influenced? Absolutely. Can a nation? Sure. That's why, again, we have to believe that Jesus has the ultimate power, the ultimate influence in our lives. That will come through the word of God. That's what I get out of this. I believe there's something so powerful, not only, you know, uh, he has absolute authority, but he also has just that willingness to show us his will. Let's go to the other side. Even if we encounter storms, you'll notice in verse 21, they're going right back from where they came from to the other's back over side. It was for that one guy. But God was showing him when he says what is, or shows what your, his will is, that's going to happen. And uh, yeah, let's sing. Let's stand. If, listen, if you're here today, and in your mind and your heart, something has just resonated about being in a storm or maybe being influenced by the enemy, that's definitely something you should pray about. Not questioning your salvation. Ephesians chapter 4, we are sealed until the day of redemption or until the the end of the age. Means when Christ comes back, we're saved, we're sealed. God's signature is over our hearts. If you've said the sinner's prayer and you know he indwells you, yeah, you're in. But does it mean that we can't be hassled? And maybe you're being hassled today. Maybe you're thinking, maybe you're trying to rely on something you were told, a program, whatever. Look, God has the absolute power, authority, exousia, the Greek language, to deliver, set people free, come out. He didn't go through these long theatricals, you know, think, just come out, come out of him. Stop influencing him. I have the prayer team up here and... Uh, If you need prayer this morning, I want you to just kind of come on down during the song or after the song and just uh, grab somebody on the prayer team. Pray with them. Amen, guys? I love you. I'm going to let Greg end this out.